We start this week with somber news, unfortunately, once again, this time with the sad passing of Jacinda Barclay. Jacinda was actually born in Chidlow, less than an hour from where we're recording, and was another of those phenomenal athletes who could do just about everything. She played baseball for WA at the age of 15 and in the 2008 World Cup as a part of the Aussie national team at 17, playing in five straight World Cups from 2008 to 2016. In 2012, she wanted to get into American football, and due to visa issues, she had to play in the LFL for New South Wales, winning a championship as quarterback before finally going over to the States and winning one with the Chicago Bliss in America. And just because she could, she even played professionally for GWS and the AFLW, registering 11 goals for the Giants in 23 games over four seasons. Jacinda was just 29. Well, we mention it every time this happens, but you're not alone. If you need help, please reach out to someone. We can't emphasize that enough. This week on the Sport Blokes. On this week's show, football's night of shite. <laughs> Sam Query says pressure to Russia, the worst place to play golf, and Victorian triumphs in the AFL prelims. Let's do it. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was this fantastic story involving Port Adelaide fan Archer Merritt and Richmond's Tom Lynch. It's look, it's well documented that we're not huge fans of Lynch. He well and truly goes over the line from time to time, <laughs> aka most games. Dirty bastard. But their interaction after the prelim final on the weekend was just brilliant to see, and it kind of makes you feel like Lynch just suffers from a bit of white line fever. He's maybe not as bad a bloke as he looks. So yeah, if you haven't seen it after the game, Port fans are mostly going nuts. They're yelling abuse at Lynch. One guy even threw his bourbon and coke onto him, which this fan has had his membership torn up by Port, which is great. For two years. But Merritt spoke to his dad and said he wanted to congratulate Lynch for their win, which is a really noble thing to do given the circumstances. I mean, as a 13-year-old, I don't think I could have done that to a player who just knocked my team out of the finals. So they had a really nice little chat, and while we don't have a transcript, it was the sort of thing we needed after a pretty average couple of weeks of footy. How about yourself, Nath? Well, perfect segue, mate. Thank you for that. Because I've got a couple of things here. And we'll start with Twitter. A couple of things from Twitter. So Ryan Fitzgerald, we've talked about him before. He's had some absolute rippers of late in the last few days. But the one that is relevant here is, this is complete bullshit. There's absolutely no way a port supporter would waste a bourbon and coke. (laughs) Probably true. Uh, But the other one, which is absolutely magnificent, was, uh, so he's still going along this Ryan Fitzpatrick thing with the NFL. (laughs) And Fitzpatrick started playing really well now. So last week he had 350 passing yards and three touchdowns in yet another win for the previously lowly Dolphins. So... Frazee said, where's my haters now? Single-handedly dismantle the 49ers with my right arm. Now bring on the New York Jets and throw in the Patriots and Buffalo Bills. I'm coming for you, suckers. Hey, Fitzy, going to get the MVP. Oh, fantastic. Uh, And the other one was Mason Cox. So, look, this isn't an excuse to have a dick joke pun in the title for the third week straight. We won't do that again. But uh, I noticed that Bort sent out a tweet with a... Amateur Football League in America where they play gridiron without pads oh, and helmets. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So actually a few people have tweeted it. Like, uh, I think um, Mason said, ha, cute, or yeah, something to that effect. They've been doing this in, in Australia for how many years Exactly, now, yeah. yeah. And he wasn't the only one either. There were several people that did that. And then my last one was uh, LeBron after winning the championship. So, you know, up to date now with Game 6 and everything. He said to the trophy, I can't believe you cheated on me for the last five years. You dirty. 
With Kawhi Leonard as well. <laughs> I must admit, I saw a little bit of that American Football League. They hit pretty hard. Like oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like it's better than what we do, but it's, it was still pretty hard. Well, it's, hitting on a rectangular field is different to hitting on an oval field where it's, you know... Different. What'd you miss, mate? <laughs> well, I missed a very good chunk of the Geelong and Brisbane match on Saturday night. I've mentioned in a previous episode, we had our 20-year high school reunion... And as a sort of surrogate host for the night, I was doing a fair bit of flitting around, making sure everyone had drink tokens and the like. So I missed most of the match, and thankfully you were able to keep an eye on it with uh, one of our... One of oh, our... I don't know if I saw much more of it than you, to well, be honest, mate. I was using said drink tokens. But, no, it, uh, it looked like you were there. But no, I, actually I was a, there. I yeah. also missed a good portion of the next day with a roaring hangover. <laughs> I wasn't too bad, luckily, but uh, yeah. Yeah, good times. Glad I patted my stomach. Yeah. How about yourself? Uh, well, same thing, same thing. Um, I would have liked to have have seen the game, but I dare say the result did maybe put me off a little bit. Yeah, it it didn't seem as pressing, you was, know, had it not been a 40-point game. But we will get to that very shortly. News roundup, Shui. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll start off with a bit of the netball. Yeah, so the Melbourne Vixens have become the first Super Netball team to win the Super Netball title after finishing minor champions at top of the ladder. Never happened before. Mm. After winning 66-64 to in a thriller over the West Coast Fever. Some of the Fever players will be stuck in two-week quarantine now to stew over their two-point loss. Ugh, yeah. Not fun. A few good stats, though. Janelle Fowler shot 54 of 55. And she's had a magnificent season. An amazing effort. Um, I believe it's Mwai Kumwenda. She was uh, 47 of 50, though, for the Vixens. It was all about the Vixens' defense. They forced countless turnovers. They had a real crucial one with about four minutes left, uh, which led to a, a really easy goal. At one stage in the second quarter, I think they had three consecutive turnovers, which resulted in goals. So they, they were quite free-flowing in that regard. Alice Teague Neal actually had a two-point shot for the Fever with 71 seconds left that would have given them the lead, but it rimmed out. And unfortunately for fans of the of the Fever, which we would be, being from Perth. Yeah, but not a fan of the two-point shot. So no, I'm very conflicted no, there. No, a little bit. Especially but, when it only operates for the last five minutes of a quarter yeah, or something. Look, the Vixens were the best team all season. They ultimately deserve to win it. Hats off. Bathurst update, Shuey. Yeah, Bathurst 1000 took place over the weekend. Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander of Holden took the win, which was great. Definitely not without drama, though. Crash is actually forced to restart not once, but twice. And it caused massive issues for defending champion Scott McLaughlin and his co-driver, Tim Slade. I think I have a bit of a handle on this now. It's something I wasn't aware of before I, I looked into this. But basically, there's 161 laps in Bathurst. The main driver can't complete more than 107, and the co-driver has to complete at least 54. Now, Slade had only completed 53 when the safety car came out on lap 98. And what that meant was that most teams would be then pitting and changing to their strongest drivers. But Slade had to stay in and make up his numbers. He actually ended up completing 71 laps and got take, you know, overtaken by uh. multiple people. Um, and it just left too much for McLaughlin. He made a pretty decent, a decent run at it, but unfortunately just couldn't do it. Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes also crashed out earlier in the race on lap 33, so a little bit of, bit of carnage in the race, but uh, mm, ultimately... Good pun, carnage. Ah, but ultimately a goodie. Baseball, we have ourselves a, a World Series. Yes, the World Series is now set. The LA Dodgers came back from three games to one down in the NCLS. The first time in their franchise history where they won the series after being down 3-1, and we saw a couple of them in the NBA, as you know. Funnily enough, the scoreline in that seventh game was 4-3 against the Atlanta Braves. The Dodgers have been super poised so far this offseason, scoring 23 runs with two men out. And they've been the favourites for a long time, so it'll be interesting to see if they do get the win. Outfielder Mookie Betts had some lovely run-saving catches on the wall. Cody Bellinger not only hit the go-ahead run in Game 7, but made the catch on the final out. 
So that was fitting as well. It's Atlanta's 12th straight playoff loss without making the World Series. And it's the Dodgers' 21st World Series appearance, on the other hand, which is good for second all-time. Yeah, that Bellinger home run was really interesting, actually. He'd actually fouled off three straight pitches with a 2-2 count. Yes, I, I saw, just yeah. Yep. smoked one into the right field bleachers. Apparently, the eighth pitch of an at-bat was quite fruitful in that game. Yes, so, yes. Uh, the commentator had just finished saying that when he's he smashed that one. Right on, um, Q. He actually popped his shoulder out, though, celebrating after he crossed home Yes, play. I saw that as well, yeah, so, with one of his teammates. Yeah, so, yeah. so he's apparently okay, but uh, yeah, he, he didn't look too great going into the dugout. And one other thing about Bellinger, he was only 4 of 20. 23 in the series, so he didn't do particularly well, but he obviously nailed the one Stood that up mattered. at the right time, yeah, that's got right. The, one that mattered. the World Series between the Dodgers and Tampa Bay Rays begins Wednesday, Australia time, Tuesday, US time. The Rays won their series 4-3 against Houston, a team that very few people would have been rooting for after it came out that they were stealing signs in 2017 and 2018. Maybe something we'll look at in the future. Is this like how people steal those signs over in Austria, that little town called fucking... <laughs> Different signs? Uh, kind of, yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. And finishing with golf, Shui. Yeah, the Masters tournament's taking place at Augusta National just under a month from now. Aussie Jason Day, unfortunately, has a bit of a concern, though. He had to withdraw from the CJ Cup in Las Vegas with a neck injury. There's not many injuries that you can sort of get by playing golf with, and a neck and a back are probably two of the absolute worst. So Day actually withdrew from the Arnold Palmer Invitational in March with a back injury, so he's kind of got a bit of a history there, which is not great. Um, the a lot early, of golfers tend to have bad backs, don't they? Yeah, this is very, very true. The early favourites for the tournament, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, and massive unit Bryson DeChambeau. Ah, yes. I would actually put my money on him. His length off the tee is going to be a real factor in that, and if he can find like half the fairways, he should be there or there about like no shit I saw him actually drive a par 4 with an iron during the week mm. it's it, a big unit it's insanity it really is <laughs> he's actually rewriting how golf should be played if you have a question for the sport blokes email them sportblokes at gmail.com or find them on twitter at sportblokes please also like rate and subscribe tell your friends so Shui Nine months after the AFL season started, we now have our two grand finalists, two squads of 22 players soon to be doing what every young footballer dreams of, that one day in October when they play on a one metre square patch of the MCG implanted at a half-filled Gabba Stadium. <laughs> I must admit, that was my dream growing up. <laughs> Did you see that story? Oh, it's just ludicrous, isn't it? What do you it? make of it? Victoria just not being able to let go oh, of the it's grand typical, final. isn't it? Although, apparently, so there was a lot of outrage about it, for those that don't know, they decided to cut out a bit of the MCG so that it would still be on the Gabba. It'll be interesting to see where they place it. Don't know where, but anyway, I'm sure they'll talk about it a lot on the coverage. Uh, and there was a lot of outrage. People saying, well, this is a lot of money to spend on something during COVID times with borders down and blah, 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 blah. But apparently it's sponsored by Rebel Sport. What if the so grass- Rebel Sport have been coughing up the money for this one. What if the grass has COVID? <laughs> well, it can stay on glass surfaces for 28 days or yeah, something. About, I read last about, week. What about grass surfaces? <laughs> goodness, I don't know that. Goodness me. <laughs> so we'll get into our game, Shui. Well, they couldn't be much more different, could they? On one hand, we had an arm wrestle and a nail-biting finish. And on the other hand, we had a blowout. In Adelaide, Richmond, 6 goals, 10-46. Defeated Port, 6 goals, 4-40. This was really one of those brutal, bruising games of footy you love to see in finals. Port actually won so much of this game from possessions, inside 50s, to hitouts to marks. Well, it's funny you say that. They actually had seven more inside 50s in the first quarter, but they had nothing to show for it. Mm. Well, that was that was the thing. Richmond yeah. just did a little bit more with it. If you go to another stat, Port Adelaide's efficiency inside forward 50 for the game was about 21%. Yeah, so and, and it, it 
stands to reason with the eye test because one of my notes here is Richmond initially looked to handle the greasy conditions much better. Yep. And the rain was coming down pretty hard in that first half. Yeah, so. it was. Yeah. It was. So, yeah, I mean, Richmond just generated more scores. They were a lot more efficient inside 50. They crushed Port in the clearances. Kane Lambert was huge his two goals, including that one from the uh, deliberate out-of-bounds call, which yes, we'll yes. talk a little bit more about yes, in a minute. Yes. Uh, Dusty Martin was his usual self, arguably best on ground with 21 touches and two goals. Connor Rosie, I thought, was brilliant in the wet for Port. Rosie was excellent. Yep. Ebert was excellent. Ollie um, Wines was. Laddams was decent. Yeah, Port just couldn't find an avenue to goal late, and Tom Lynch kind of sat in the hole for the last few minutes, and... That was that. But no, the game was actually that even that Port and the Tigers actually kicked the same amount of goals as each other in all four of the quarters. And how's this? Neither team scored in the last 9 minutes 30 of the second quarter, and it was only the second time ever that teams were tied at the halftime of a prelim. Second time ever. Wow. Richmond and Collingwood in 1969 was the other time. That is nuts. Yeah. That Crazy. Is, that is nuts. Just going back to Brad Ebert as well, though, how fitting was it for Brad Ebert's career that the last thing he did was back blindly into a concussion. Yeah, well, it's a shame that it did end in a concussion, didn't it? It's, yeah. That's just his, yeah. his career so in brave. the NHL. Yeah. Very, very brave, yeah. And he had a good final, so it's got to be said. So we have to quickly talk, I suppose, about these deliberate out-of-bounds calls. I read a really interesting stat about this. So in the 159 games leading up to this, there have been 155 deliberate out-of-bounds calls. So less, less than, than one a game. game. I think it's six in this game. Yeah, well, I think they've officiated it really well in the entire finals. Mm. They haven't done the 15 meter kick marks very well, <sighs> well but the deliberate out of bounds, I reckon they've just about nailed every single one. Some baby steps, no. Yeah, well, yeah. I actually yeah. thought there were a couple of pretty tough ones in here. There was one I can't remember. I think it might have been Trent Cochin socked one out of a pack, and it it just so happened he was getting spun around as it as it happened, and he's kicked it out of bounds, but. I thought, yeah. Unfortunately, the one that was given to to Richmond, I think, was Hamish Hartlett. Hamish Hartlett had a shocking fourth quarter. Yeah, he did. Absolutely he did. shocking. So, so yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't mind. There it was being, there. I don't mind there being more of these calls. Yeah, because, yeah. As long as they're consistent. Yeah, because I think it speeds the game up. Yep. If there's less less ball ups and less. Well, it's funny you say that because one of the commentators said we're getting closer and closer to you know free kick last, out of bounds. Last one out. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Which I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Well, I think that will be a shame because that takes the ruckman out of the game a bit. It does, and the ruck, it's such a unique position in the sport. So I don't think they should do that. But they've officiated it really well, and I hope they keep keep doing it. Me too. Yeah, but it was there though, wasn't oh, it? 100. percent And and Lambert kicked two goals in that last quarter. One soccer that seemed to miss about five blokes oh, on the way yeah, through. Like it, it makes you wonder if it's fateful when that, well, that shit was, happens. That hey. was just after Port had managed to get the lead back. As yeah, well, yeah, so. yeah. And then on the other hand, Hamish Hartlett had a kick going into 50. The scores were very close, oh, and he kicked to three, three Richmond blokes. Yeah, there was no one oh. 20 metres of it. Because, I mean, you know, it's it's no secret that we were going for Port. Of course. So I was gutted when that we're, we're not Richmond supporters, which means we automatically <laughs> yeah. are going for Port. That's the, that's the way it works right now. Anyway. And then in the other game, Geelong 11 goal 16-82 defeated Brisbane 6-6-42. Well, at least it wasn't inaccuracy that killed Brisbane. It was inactivity. Yes, yes. So, no, look, a real second-half destruction from the Cats. Yeah, it really was. Five-point half-time lead into a 40-point win. That's just, yeah, so many great performances. Gary Rowan was great with three goals. He was. Mitch Duncan, Sam Menegola, Paddy Dangerfield, all influential. And dare I say... Gary Ablett. Gary Ablett bobbed up and kicked two in a final, just like I said he would. 14 massive touches and two goals. I just hope that wasn't the big game that we're talking about, because... You really would rather him have a... Oh, I'd love to see him go out next week. Three-goal, 20-touch game oh, that'd be in magnificent. what will be his last game. Yep. 
for Brisbane, Lockie Neal was probably the only one with any sort of influence on the game, and Brisbane just failed to take the game on, and they were made to pay for it, really. So, But I will say this, since the bye week before finals was introduced, which was about 2016, I think, the teams that have won a qualifying final and taken another week off by progressing to the prelim are now four wins and six losses. Wow. Including both this weekend. Mm. Matthew Richardson made a really great point. These teams are working their asses off all year to make a prelim, and they get to play one game in a month. So Port's final was on the 16th of October, and they played one game between the 21st of September and that. Brisbane's final game of the home and away season, September 19th, they played one game between that and the 17th of October. So it's it's a real disadvantage to the teams that made the prelim. Well, the other school of thought would be that if you're good enough, you'll win, you know. And it's funny because as kind of the end of that Port-Richmond game happened, I kind of reflected and thought, oh, I picked Port because I just felt like it was their year. But often teams need that heartbreaking loss in the finals before they can take that next step. But they have a lot of young blokes, and so, you know, they they lack the poise. Richmond just had that extra 10% poise, and that kind of got them over the line, I felt like. Chris Fagan actually said that. Okay, well, there you go. In a press conference, he said the very same thing about Brisbane, that you you have to... Yeah, you have to go through that heartbreak in order yep. to appreciate it a lot more and, and, and to get there. So, But the result of this is we'll have the first ever grand final play between two teams that lost in week one of the finals. There you go. And the first all-Victorian grand final in nine years. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And that's even crazier when you consider that the Lions played 10 of their 20 games at the Gabba. So this includes finals. 10 of their 20 games at the Gabba and 15 out of 20 total in the state of Queensland. Only 15? Yep. They had a couple in Sydney, and they went down to Blundstone as well. I felt like they played 35 of their 20 well, games I think... in Brisbane. It, was that bit, it felt that bad. I think probably some of the away games were earlier in the year. I'd, I'd have to have a look. Yeah, that's but, interesting. But, you know, on that stat, is it, dare I ask, is it a choke? Oh, 100%. It's a very big missed opportunity. It is. To lose that badly... If they'd lost by a goal, you'd probably say, mm, maybe not as much of a choke, but to lose that badly. So, yeah. Well, they'll never get a better chance to... Uh, to have a home final, will uh, they? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, certainly not for quite a few years anyway. <laughs> but some interesting things on the granny. So there'll be 30,000 fans will be allowed through the gates and public tickets will be available for the first time in 20 years by virtue of the fact, obviously, that the Lions aren't there to snap them of all course, up. Of course, yeah. Yeah. But the experiment in Queensland seems to have worked because I heard on ABC today that junior participation in Queensland went up 35% this year. That's a great number. So the AFL will be very happy and they'll feel like they made the right choice about leaving the grand final there and not sending it anywhere else. Did they mention anything about what participation in rugby has been? Because that's traditionally been a rugby state. Well, no, I didn't so I didn't see the comparison. I wonder the comparison. if there's maybe been a, a downturn in the rugby numbers which would be very interesting it would stand to reason but yeah. I don't know to be honest yeah interesting yeah. Mm. Uh, so I guess we got to do tips Chewy so in the corresponding game and it was quite recently so there's a bit of form Richmond beat Geelong by 26 in round 17 that Friday night game look I'm going to try and jinx it here Tigers by 37 <laughs> Well, I picked Geelong at the start of the season, so I feel like I've got to stick with that. I'll pick I'll pick Geelong by nineteen. Okay, I hope you're right. This is one I, I hope really, I'm right too. I really want to be wrong with this yes. one. No, I, I yes. think I think in all seriousness, I think Richmond will be too strong. I think they'll win it by a couple of goals. But look, it's I just hope it's a cracking game. Two super classy midfields. Uh, you know, not a lot separating them. Two great. You know, although I was going to say two great forwards, Jack Rewalt's been super quiet, hasn't he? Yes. He has fallen off a cliff. We've probably said it several times. He'll probably kick six now. Well, maybe. Maybe. And also, how good of Richmond to like lose the best fullback in the league 
And it seems like they've now got one of the best fullbacks again in Noah Bolter. Yeah, they're, they're the, entire, the good teams just stay good. Their entire back line, you could make a case for being almost true. Yeah, they're oh, it's good. crazy. They really are. It's crazy. And then, Stewie, well, we had football's night of nights, the sheer frocks, the mispronunciations, the boozing, and this time having to be done remotely across numerous locations with Hamish McLaughlin co-hosting with Jackie Felgate in a lovely alfoil slash disco ball number. This was the most boring Brownlow I've ever watched. <laughs> well, I, I struggled to stay away. Well, put it this way: I taped it and fast-forwarded through the ads. It, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Look, okay. Let's just go to the result because the actual night itself was oh, was such a snooze fest, honestly. But no surprise here. I'm, look, I'm not a gambling man. I have to imagine he was nearly unbackable on the day. Lockie yep. Neal was just head and shoulders above everyone else. I think. 31 votes. I think people thought it might have been a little bit closer. I myself did as well. I thought Boke and Petrarca might have been within. I thought Boke was a smoky, yeah. Maybe five yeah. or six, but... Yeah, Petrarca, yeah, maybe Melbourne didn't win enough games. But it's just it was how well he won it. As you mentioned, 31 votes. The highest votes per game of all time at 1.82. Tied for the highest margin of victory in the history of the count, equaling Roy Wright in 1954. And his 10 best on grounds were just one shy of Dustin Martin's record of 11. And with those last two, keep in mind as well, shortened season. So yeah, yep. another five games in, he probably betters both. Oh yeah, it's a magnificent so. effort. Absolutely. Almost fittingly, his uh, first votes of the year were against his old team when he had three in round two against the Dockers. And he even managed to vote in the Lions' 40-odd point loss to Richmond in round 10. So he was even polling in big losses. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, did well. So there you go. Uh, what'd you make of the acceptance speech? pretty flat. Uh, you're allowed to smile, man. But you know... Like, I know you're coming off a 40 is, point, but it's like a doctor had just told him he had cancer. I, I, well, I don't blame him for being that way. I would probably still be quite bitter, I guess, if that had happened. I was very, very impressed with his speech that he did about his about his wife, though. Mm. Um, obviously, Yeah, she her, teared up several times. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I mean, it's very, very easy... To, to sort of, you just look at the wags as someone on these guys' arms, but these are very much human beings. Amazing well, it's human like beings the yeah, have, it's like the Tom Lynch thing as well. You kind of forget that these sporting yeah, players are human. They have such great lives, and she was a a phenomenal, I believe, it was a head, successful, yeah, successful yeah, salon, I think, salon yeah, yeah, in Mosman Park, a really rich part of of Western Australia. So one of the richest in Australia, actually. Yeah, so she Peppermint gave, Grove's the richest suburb in Australia. Absolutely gave up her entire entire life basically to follow him over there. She's doing quite well still, but. It's not the same as running your own business. So, yeah, I thought it was a really great part of the speech, but most of it was quite flat. The other question... Sums sums up the night quite perfectly. Well, yeah, I guess so. And again, he was coming off a 40-point loss in the prelim at home, and so they would have been really disappointed about this. The other thing I've got to ask, the Dockers connection, still a bit of bad blood there? Of course there is. Didn't crack a smile when Nat Fife, you know... uh, Gave him a good G up and talked about how great he was and, and how it was a spectacular performance. Didn't crack a smile when he talked about Ross Lyon. Said all the right things about Ross Lyon. The facial expressions didn't go along with it. Mm. So I think there's still some bad blood there. Oh, uh, well, you know what, though? He's doing better. Poor Matty Rowe was very nervous during his interview with Jackie in round four, wasn't he? After the round four votes. Well, he thought he was a chance then. Well, he had nine after four rounds, but he's already winning next year, according to Jackie. So wow. she was talking about his acceptance speech. So they don't even need to turn up next he, year. He's up. <laughs> Let's play the games first. And uh, just, uh, well, another another note for me before we get on to the mark and goal of the year. It seems that the Kyber Light NBN maybe hasn't got there yet. 
Cutting out a few times during the cross. Wasn't amazing. It was kind of like the, the roaming Heath Shaw. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it was like. And I think they said there was 107 people in the town. I reckon they had three quarters of the town packed into that bloody interview. Surprise, it was only three quarters. <laughs> just, uh. just quickly before we go into the goal and mark of the year. I'm going to sound like a bit of a homer here, but Nick Natanui, five votes. Does that sound wrong to you? Uh... Yeah, well, he's a very good tap ruckman. Like he's, he, he missed a few games. He was the most influential player on the ground in at least half the games that the Eagles played. I know that that sort of influence doesn't necessarily correlate with voting, but it actually takes me back to when we used to play junior basketball together. Now, I was always a pass-first guy. I loved setting players up. I'd rather have 15 assists than 15 points. But often I would have double-figure assists and a heap of steals and maybe six points to go with it. And the 14-year-old refs would just look at the score sheet and go, hmm, player X oh, of course. had 15 yeah, yeah, points, yeah. so they're of the MVP. Yeah. And, it, and it feels like that's kind of what happened here. He only had 12 possessions, so Tim Kelly or Dom Sheet must be best on ground with 31. How he didn't end up with around 14 is, honestly, it's beyond me. It that's, would be very interesting to know how they, if they do look at the stats, if they're even allowed to, or yeah, there's some inner sanctum <laughs> anyway, stuff we don't know. End rant. Dare I say, Mark and Goal of the Year perhaps were fittingly... Uh, Average. Yeah. So, okay, I know what they were going for with the Mark of the Year, the Sam Walsh back with the flight of the ball, the, the courageous Mark. Yeah, and it was courageous. It was. Yeah. It's not even close to the same category as a Jonathan Brown or Nick Raywalt, no, where not at all. they're getting upended as they're taking yeah. it at full speed. No, it wasn't. So for me, yeah, I, I think there were plenty better options than that one. And look, I'm okay with the goal of the year. I know a lot of people were talking about the Jack Noons one after the siren, which... I would have been pissed off if the Jack Newton's one had won because he was kicking from the wrong spot. Wrong spot. He was about five metres closer than he should have been. Exactly. And the bullshit free kick down the ground anyway. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that that was even an option. You're glad Cripps didn't win, though, aren't you? Of course, yeah. I mean, I mean if, <laughs> you yeah, would have if, been you, if you'd had a bloke who'd run 65 metres before he kicked the ball. but <laughs> So, look, I'm okay with the Dacos one. I thought that was an absolute ripper of yeah, a goal. Yeah, did he throw it to himself? I don't know, did he? Well, it's close. You tell me. It was against on the, Sydney. On the boundary, there was a bit of a little shovel to himself that could have been considered a throw in some circles. Look, I still want, I still think Brent Daniels should have won. Oh, absolutely, yeah. My pick for Mark and goal of the year weren't even in the top three noms. Absolutely, so yeah. that's how that's yeah. how I was. Anyway. But, but I think the Charlie Cameron one would have been a fitting mark of the year too, yeah. and that one was in the top three. Agreed. So before we move on to the NRL preliminary finals, we've got a few other little things going on here, there, and everywhere in the AFL. Jeremy Cameron's leaving GWS. Geelong is his chosen destination. The rich get richer. Yeah, they really do, don't they? they? They've already had a win. They haven't even played the game yet. So so Tom Hawkins will go back to the square. Cameron will play centre-half forward? Is well, that-, that could happen. I don't see why that couldn't work. Oh, just... Unbelievable. Has Cameron be some... likes playing centre-half forward. Surely they'll be over the limit. Surely they are over the cap. Well, just... uh, you wonder if Gary Ablett's got a big salary coming off the books. Yeah, maybe. That's uh, I don't know if maybe guys like Harry Taylor might decide to retire. He might be on a decent little wage. Mm, don't know. That puts them into odds-on favourites to uh, either repeat or win it next year for the mm. first time. Oh, absolutely yeah. it would. Yeah, And the GWS window is firmly shut. Oh, it's, it's over. Yeah. yeah. Yep, for now anyway. A couple of other things here and there now. Some sad news with Race Shore at North Melbourne. Yeah, he's uh, he's left the club for personal reasons. I don't believe he's handling things too well, unfortunately. Dare I say it, 
I don't think he'll return. Well, we, there's a lot of speculation to say that, yeah. So we could see Ruse in charge of the Ruse. Well, that's the other rumour. He would have been a fitting mentor, obviously coached Shaw at the Swans. So that could have been quite a nice little tandem, but it may it may not happen. We'll mm. see. Yeah. Mm. And then some retirements, mate. Yeah, I've had a little handful of retirements on the back of the results of previous weeks. I mentioned before, obviously, that Brad Ebert's hung up his boots. We also had a couple more from Collingwood. So Lyndon Dunn and Ben Reid retired, as well as Nathan Brown from the Saints. I didn't realise he was still going around. Yeah, there's a few names I've seen in the last couple of weeks that yeah, I didn't realise yeah. were still knocking about. And on top of that, Tim Broomhead and Matt Scharenberg have been delisted by the Pies. So hopefully they'll get picked up in the uh, in the draft next year. Mm. So we'll get into the NRL prelims, Shui. First off, we had the Storm 30 defeating the Raiders 10 fairly comfortably. Yeah, so I mentioned about how I had pure massacre in my head during the Geelong Collingwood game last week. Well, this game was summed up by Blitzkrieg by Ian Jones, Jim Serrato and Brian Ross. <laughs> Melbourne put three trials on the board before the 10-minute mark through Jesse Bromwich, Ryan Pappenhausen and Suliasi Vunivalu who beat three guys to the corner, by the way. No way he should have got through for that try. Mm. And Justin Olam added another before Canberra could even get on the board. From there, the game just kind of fizzed into nothing. The Storm were home in an absolute canter. That's pretty much all you need to know about the match. Yeah, it's funny. So the NRL game's kind of similar to the AFL ones, in in a way, because in the other game, the Panthers 20 defeated the Rabbitohs 16. Yeah, Alex Johnston got the bunnies off to a great start. Absolutely beautiful kick to the corner by Adam Reynolds. But Brian Tu'u... Very, very interesting name, that one. Managed to get it back about four minutes later. Tyrone May continued this run of tries from kicks on 27 minutes. Dane Gagai got it back to two points before a superb line break from Isaiah Yo set up Dylan Edwards to go between the posts. It's a real back-and-forward sort of game. A miracle double soccer put Corey Allen over in the corner. <laughs> how much of that do you reckon was by design, and how much did that do you reckon's luck? Literally all of it. <laughs> like That could have gone yeah. 50 metres over yeah, into that, the crowd. That looked very lucky to me, but it was a great play. It was. So it left the Panthers with eight minutes to hold on up by four, and they managed to do so. Absolutely brilliant game. So it leaves us with the Storm and the Panthers. I'm going to go the Storm by six. Cameron Smith to be influential in his final game, chaired off as a champion. Well, there's a lot of talk about Melbourne winning everything. So the Vixens won the netball. We've got two Victorian teams in the AFL Grand Final. Mm, so get your money on Melbourne United. Then no, go basketball. go Penrith Panthers. All right, there we go. I'll pick. I'll pick Penrith by six. All right, so it's a six-point game either way. Yep. There we go. Then in Rugby League's Night of Nights, the Dally M's were held this evening. We know the scores. We don't know much else. Very interesting, though. If you look at what happened in the Brownlow, the player who won it was from a team that was knocked out in a prelim. Happened again. So Canberra Raiders' Jack Whiten was a bit of a surprise winner. He finished a point ahead of Clint Gutherson and two ahead of the favourite Nathan Cleary. Whiten actually moved to 5'8 to become one of the most dangerous playmakers in the competition. He's actually the first Raider to win it since Laurie Daly in 1995. So, oh, nice. So it's a really, really great story, and, and he looks to be one of these guys who'll be a Raider for life. So good on him and, and a fantastic season. So he's finished off really well. Unfortunately, did get knocked out in the prelim, just like Lockie Neal and the Brisbane Lions. But... Yeah, so I wonder if he had an equally as uh, underwhelming victory speech. Uh, from, we don't know. From what, from what little I saw, yeah, he sort of, oh, I don't really know what to say. Bledisloe Cup? Yeah. Game just, two. Jeez, the Wallabies didn't half come back to earth with a thud. No real surprise, though. Eden Park in Auckland's absolutely had the Aussies by the short and curlies for 34 years now. We just cannot win there. The Wallabies were absolutely woeful. Highlighted by 40 missed tackles, or wow. 27.5% of all their attempted tackles in the match. 
And probably half of them on that one bloke that's been dubbed the new Jonah Lomu. Caleb Clark, yeah, we'll talk about him in a second. Like, honestly, missing that many tackles, it's just not good enough. And on top of that, a lot of easy turnovers. They gifted New Zealand tries. They were very dangerous in the breakdown, always threatening to take the ball away. But yeah, this Caleb Clark, he looks scary. And and, and you can very easily see why people are comparing him to Jonah Lomu. The guy's an absolute tank. Oh, he's a beast, yeah. He's got a little bit to go, but he looks very, very difficult to bring down. And a great pace. Yeah, and his run that led to a try to Artie Sevilla to make it 20-7 to was just amazing. So much power. For me, though, the highlight of the whole game was a try-saving effort. The score was still at 20-7, to with Marika Korobiti diving for the corner, but he was held up by Richie Moanga. A converted try there, and we're talking game on with half an hour to go. So a really great effort by the All Blacks. Pretty much an expected result, I think, from most people. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, a great effort. But, geez, last week was one that got away. It really was. So over to the NFL, Nathan. I believe we've got a fair bit going on there as yeah, well. Yeah, another big week. Another lots of interesting things going on. My Colts had a 32-27 win over the Bengals after Cincinnati started 21-0. The second largest in Colts history. Wow. Second largest comeback. So uh, I, I penciled that one in, but it was a little more difficult than I thought it might be. Wow. <laughs> My viewing options this week were Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Denver, New England. I watched most of the first half of the Steelers and Browns, which Pitt won comfortably 38-7. The Browns starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield, was benched in the third, so watch this space. The, the most interesting thing was one of the nicknames. Oh, yeah. So, Chase Claypool is a magnificent wide receiver. He's already had several lovely highlights in his career. And he's very reminiscent of the Detroit Lions former player, Calvin Johnson. Now, Calvin Johnson was nicknamed Megatron. Chase Claypool comes from Canada. So they've nicknamed him Mapletron. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is horrible. Mapletron. Nickname stick. Can you, can you imagine having a whole career being nicknamed Mapletron? Now, he's about the same same height. He's about the same weight. There's so many similarities, so I can see why people make those connections. But, jeez, you don't want to be called Mapletron. Well, of course a nickname like that will stick because it's made of shit. <laughs> and shit sticks. <laughs> wow, that is yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you think of a worse nickname? <sighs> No, really. You could give me an hour and I don't think I could come up with a worse nickname than that. I really don't. In that other game, a previous postponement after Cam Newton had COVID, among others, Denver beat New England without scoring a touchdown, 18-12. to The teams combined for eight field goals between them. Denver's Brandon McManus was six of six. It was the f- wow. Yeah. It was the first time a Bill Belichick coach team lost a game when the opposition didn't score a TD. And the Pats fall to two and three. This is the latest in the season they've had a losing record since 2002 when they started three and four. Yes, in round five, the latest in the season. Yeah, wow. So that shows you how successful they've been. The game I wish I saw was between the Houston... I nearly said Houston Oilers. Was between the Houston Texans and the Tennessee Titans. Now, Tennessee's actually played two games in a week since we last recorded because they had postponements too. And there was some schools of thought to say, oh, how would they go after the break? But they've done really well to play two games, to win two games. In two weeks. So the pain for the Houston Texans continue. They've dropped to one and five after recently uh, losing a head coach. And I dare say his replacement didn't coach too well. After a 42-36 defeat to Tennessee in overtime, Bradley Roby had an interception with the score 30-29. 
to Houston, and the Texans marched down the field. They had a 4-1 and one at the 35-ish, but opted against the long field goal and went for it successfully to keep the drive alive. So, so far, so good, chewing time off the clock, which they managed to do. They scored a touchdown with a shade under two minutes left, and a normal kick would have put them up by eight. And they according to... They go for two. They went for two. What? According to ESPN Stats and Info, going for one, the normal just converted kick, would have been a 98.2% chance of winning. Apparently that wasn't enough for interim head coach Romeo Cronell. Jeez, it won't be interim for very long with decisions like that. Yeah. Yeah. That is disgraceful. Of course, Tennessee then went the length of the field in under two minutes. Derek Henry getting a direct snap at the goal line to run in the winning score. And then, of course, the rest is history. Tennessee won in overtime. And uh, What do you think about this whole coin toss overtime thing? Like, I, why, why could they not at least give them a chance to run it back? Oh, I, the, the overtime rules in the NFL are terrible, and they have been for a long time. But they used to be worse. So it used to be first team to score yeah, wins. so a field goal. Would so be. you could win the toss, march down the field, kick a field goal. The other team wouldn't even get a right of reply. Yeah. At least now the other team gets one right of reply, so one normal set of downs. And if, if they, if it's a field goal, but if it's a touchdown, that finishes. Yeah, it. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's true. Which, yeah. Yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is ridiculous still. I mean, you should at least give a team a chance. That's that's what I don't understand. Oh, yeah, no, it's not a good rule. Even if you want to be an asshole and say, right, they've scored a touchdown first, you've come back. If you score, you have to go for two. I can't see why you wouldn't have five minutes either way, and if it ends in a draw, it ends in a draw. Yeah, potentially. I think it's terrible. Uh, what, what makes it worse is that it's just as bad in the playoffs. It's one thing in the regular season, but to have yeah. shitty rules in the playoffs is really... Is to lo- super- oh, well, teams, super- have lost, teams have lost in overtime in, in the super playoffs. Bowls? Uh, oh, you're picking my brain at Super Bowl, but definitely in big games. Could you imagine losing a Super Bowl on that? Yeah, that well, I might look horrible. at that. That's interesting, actually. That would be horrible. Derrick Henry had 212 rushing yards with two touchdowns, including a 94-yarder. And by the way, he has a 99-yarder in his Ooh, career. Very nice. Uh, he had 264 yards from scrimmage. He's the fourth ever player to have three games with at least 200 rushing yards and two rushing TDs to join Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, and LaDainian Tomlinson. Reasonable so company. pretty, pretty bloody good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but how's this? Since the NFL instituted the two-point conversion in 1994, no other team has gone for it when up seven with less than two minutes left. And neither they should. And neither they should. And there was a game last week, I think it was the Minnesota game, where a similar thing, they went for two when they shouldn't have. And this week it happened too. Philly had a botched handoff down 30-28 to Baltimore with 155 left in their game, screwing up a two-point conversion as well. In other results, Atlanta and the New York Giants are finally in the winner's circle this season. The Giants are after Washington failed a, you guessed it, two-point conversion when they were going for the win on the road. I don't know why they didn't just score the points and try and win an OT. Not a good week for going for two. And then finally, Tom Brady and the Bucks got the better of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the Battle of the Big Names, handing Green Bay their first loss of the season, 38-10, in a scoreline few would have predicted. Aaron Rodgers had only the third pick six for his career, so that's a interception leading to a touchdown. Tampa Bay had no penalties, sacks, or turnovers, the third team ever to do it since they started keeping those records in 1960. Wow. Only the third team ever. Colts were the last to do it in 99. And Tom Brady is 48-13, which is 78%, after a loss in the Super Bowl era. Only Russell Wilson's record of 31-8 after a loss is better at 79%. Love him or hate him, he's... Pretty decent. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty decent. At and him and Gronk teamed up again for another touchdown. I think they're now tied all-time third for quarterback uh, receiver touchdown yeah. uh, 
combinations. And then finally, Le'Veon Bell signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. So just as we talked about with Geelong and Jeremy Cameron, the rich get richer. This guy was considered probably the best running back only about three seasons ago. Great pass catcher too. Another weapon. It would have to make the Chiefs favourites if they weren't already. You got a bit of soccer for us, mate? Yeah, geez, a few things going on. So a crazy comeback overnight in the Tottenham Hotspur West Ham game. So Spurs took the lead after 45 seconds thanks to an absolutely brilliant through ball from Harry Kane to Son. Kane himself scored twice to have it 3-0 after just 16 minutes. The game went into this big lull. Kane actually hit the outside of the post on 78 minutes, which would have well and truly put the game beyond doubt. And then it happened. Fabian Bulbuena headed home in the 82nd minute from a long cross. Two minutes later, Davinson Sanchez headed into his own net for 3-2. And an absolute thunderbolt from Manuel Lanzini in the last minute made West Ham the first team in Premier League history to avoid defeat trailing by three or more 81 minutes into a game. Wow. Crazy, crazy game. Was that a choke? Uh, well and truly. <laughs> well and truly. Yeah. I mean, the other key game was the Merseyside derby between Liverpool and Everton. Real cracking game of footy. Lots of goals. Sublime saves. And at 2-2 at the end of 90 minutes, it's looking like it's heading towards a goal. But then Jordan Henderson appeared to have won it for the Reds two minutes into stoppage time. But Mane was ruled offside before the cross that he put in. And I have to say, an absolute load of rubbish. Oh, dear. It... it it was horrible. And what do you my, think of the rule? I, I've never, as someone who doesn't follow soccer, I've never really loved the offside rule. The, the tragics will tell me that it should be there, but... Well, it's it's interesting because they actually trialled it in Scotland once. And I think they played one half of the game in a, an exhibition match. They played one half of the game with the rule and one half without it. And the final score was 8-3. Right. So it's far more entertaining in terms of that. But obviously, you're right. The purists will well and truly argue that it needs to be there. Unfortunately, though, when VAR goes and has a look at it and they just flat out get it wrong. Yeah, like in the AFL last week. It's it's annoying. To make it worse for Liverpool, though, Everton's keeper, Jordan Pickford, probably should have been sent off. He had a really clumsy tackle on Virgil van Dijk and actually resulted in a torn ACL for van Dijk. So, yeah, VAR actually found van Dijk to be offside in the play, but they didn't look at the challenge. So they got that wrong too, which is just crazy. So Everton actually sitting top. Aston Villa are actually perfect through four games, so they're doing really well. Liverpool have kind of started to make their move. Man City and Leeds are actually able to jump up into the top four with a win in their games that they have in hand. It's great to see a really bunched up table, though. There's only three points separating Leicester in fourth and Wolves in 15th. Nice. So really good. Um, Wolves playing Leeds tomorrow night. Go Leeds. Yeah, well, there'd be a bloody good chance. In other soccer news, as a Rangers fan, brilliant to see them take the first old firm of the Scottish season with a 2-0 win over Celtic at Celtic Park to go clear on top of the ladder. But one of the biggest talking points of the week is an incident involving Sergio Aguero. So during Man City's 1-0 win over Arsenal, Aguero disagreed with a decision from lineswoman Sian Massey-Ellis. And I have to say, there was probably a foul before the decision that she that she made anyway. Mm. But he put his arm around her upper shoulder slash yeah, neck, neck It was neck. Yeah, she, and he squeezed. She looked really uncomfortable and half kind of pushed him away. It wasn't a good look. I have to say, he's very lucky to have avoided any sort of punishment. Oh, he, well, that's bad. If that's Is that the case? There's been there was, no punishment. There was no card, no fine that I've heard so she far. She handled it incredibly well. She was very poised. But he kind of put a bit of pressure on her neck. Like, it was subtle and he would claim plausible deniability. But it, it wasn't a good look. But it's... it's basically a rule in all sports you do not touch touch the the officials that is it so so yes he's a very very lucky boy wow yeah that's crazy Mm. and now what made Stu say bloody hell the bloody hell this week takes us across the ditch to Ellerslie a suburb southeast of Auckland the great northern steeplechase was taking place and all was going well until you see a guy standing in the middle of the track (laughs) 
So, so the Ellerslie Racetrack has a driving range as well as a pitch and putt golf course located entirely within the horse racing track. It's and madness. This bloke, he'd actually hit a pretty wayward tee shot right into the middle of the track. So he just wanders over the rail to play his next shot, only to realise that the horses were about 50 metres away from him and coming in hot. He apparently just stood there, started pointing at his ball, and all the jockeys are just screaming at him, telling him to get the F out of the way. <laughs> now... Racehorses are typically between four and 500 kilograms. But they do normally stop for golf balls. So, you know. They, they? They should, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but just for him to say, for him to gesture, you know, like, oh, but it's my ball. Like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll all stop. Yeah, That's okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll Whoa! So, no, look, at that weight, it's pretty easy to see someone colliding with a racehorse going that fast. Not really surviving. So, he's a very fortunate guy. For not having the sense to check for incoming horses before jumping on the track, all I can say is bloody hill. Bloody hill. So our first games in the Shield are complete in the cricket world. Now, they had started when we recorded last week, but we decided we'd let them finish before we talked about them. In the game that we're perhaps a little bit more interested, WA5 declared for 481 and 2 declared 215. Defeated South Australia 314 and 177. Inglis had a 153 not out. Agar had a 114 not out in the first innings. Lloyd Pope picked up all of the wickets for South Australia, 5 for 164. Weatherall, the only batsman of note in their innings with a 105. Ashton Agar then had a 5 for 103 himself, so a ton not out and a 5 for pretty tidy. Sean Marsh had 110 and Bancroft had 71 in the second innings just to try and get the score up a little bit more. And a good mix of wickets for WA in the final innings where only Travis Head could manage a 53. And it's got to be said that uh, Ashton probably beats Wes in the Agar stakes. At the Slightly. Mo- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Wes had like a 4 and no wickets. <laughs> so not great. <laughs> Yeah, fairly similar sort of story in in this game and the Queensland-Tasmania game. So we actually managed to win this with about 10 overs left in the the last day when the Redbacks' resistance finally faltered. They actually lost four wickets in the last hour of the match. Yeah, it sat on seven for for a long time. I was kind of keeping an eye on it at work, Yeah. yeah. But look, WA only lost seven wickets in the entire match. They thoroughly deserved to win this. Ashton Agar was magnificent with bat and ball, as you mentioned. South Australia were pretty much just made to pay for some really silly shots. Tom Cooper played a really expansive drive and dragged one on. Travis Head tried an uppercut off Matt Kelly and edged it to Josh Inglis. Brad Davis was needlessly run out. In the end, the right result for dominance on display. And apparently Jake Weatherald's been like in the nets for hours and hours and hours and hours every day. So that seemed to have paid dividends with a 105 in the first match. <laughs> Heading over to that other match, Queensland only needed one innings. 529, they defeated Tasmania 250 and 220. McDermott had 74 for Tassie. Nessa had 5 for 32. Labish Shane had a 167, and Nessa backed up his bowling performance with a 121. So both Agar and Nessa have had really good starts to the year. Jordan Silk managed a 56 in Tassie's second innings, but really, they fell quite far short. I think they, I heard somewhere that it was the first time that someone had had a 5 for an 100 in the same Sheffield Shield match, or something like that. And then it happened twice. And then it happened twice. So, <laughs> yeah, insane. Uh, Look, Tassie absolutely outclassed in this one. But the joys of four-day cricket meant that it was still only one. It was with tight. six overs to spare. I think it was less than six. This was really the Mitchell Swepson story in the second innings, though. Four for 66. Once again, though, Marnus Labashain provided a crucial wicket, kind of like he did in the Ashes. Bowling his leggies, yeah. Yeah. Nathan Ellis had chewed up 112 deliveries before Marnus finally got rid of him. I think you could make a really good case for Swepson getting a baggy green. He finds wickets, he bowls a really nice googly, he can bowl massive marathon spells, and he doesn't often go for huge amounts of runs. So I, I like him as a decent chance to, to come in as a leggy at some stage. But I'm with you, Nath. 
I still hate four-day cricket. <laughs> and baggy greens, look, we will talk about that. The first test isn't until the 3rd of December, so maybe we'll let a few Shield games go through before we start to think about who's definitely got a spot. But, geez, with the gloves, Inglis is uh, going to start knocking on the door if Alex Carey doesn't do well. True. New South Wales and Victoria didn't play due to quarantine, but the next round started today, so we'll have results for them next week. Not a great start from the Warriors against New South, no. New South Wales. No, not at all. Yeah. Win the toss and bowl. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. A uh, little IPL update, Stewie. Well, actually, before we get into that, I just want to also take a moment to note Pakistani Umar Gul's retired from all forms of cricket at the age of 36. Played 47 tests, 130 ODIs, and 60 T20Is. He was always a really handy bowling option. Well, we have a special place in our heart here in Perth because he played for the WA in the first T20 team. We did. That was the 08-09 Big Bash, so I think it was a couple of seasons. Oh, Big ago. Bash. Oh, I thought he played for WA. My apologies. Well, my he, memory fails. No, he played in the Big Bash. So there yeah, you go. So that was before we were actually called the Scorchers as well. And um, he was amazing. His first match, four for 15. Did you oh, know? So I was kind of right. So it was before we called the Scorchers, but it was the Big Bash from day one, maybe. Yes. Ah, okay, sorry. Yeah. It was WA, yeah. Little side note. Did you know that the first Big Bash in 05-06 was played across two, two groups of three? And they only played two games. It's hard to fathom that the first Big Bash was 15 years ago. Yeah, Crikey. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, happy retirement to Umar. Indeed. While we're talking about the Big Bash quickly, the Hobart Hurricanes have got Doward Milan, which is a very good... Uh, he's a very, very handy T20 player. Mm. So that's a good pickup for them. A few sixes. Absolutely. Quite a few. Absolutely. IPL, Stewie. Yeah, look, there's been some absolutely cracking cricket in the last week, but an amazing night last night in the IPL. We had not one, but two matches, one in Super Overs. Jeez. So we'll start with the Kolkata Knight Riders and the Sunrisers Hyderabad. Kolkata batted first. A nice even spread of runs saw them post five for 163. It's not too bad a score. It's not amazing, but... It's defendable. It, it is defendable. Very defendable. David Warner, interestingly, came in at number four, though. Sunrises. Yeah, by the way, I think I said he played for Delhi the other week. It was he used to play for Delhi, but now he plays for the Sunrises, yeah. The the, the, the uniforms the, the look, yeah, 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 exactly. But see, he actually came in behind Kane Williamson and Priyam Garg, which I thought was ridiculous. I mean, it allowed him to be there at the end of the 20 overs and he actually managed to chase down the 17 runs required for a super over. But even then he could only actually manage a leg by off the last ball. So if he'd managed to hit it for two, that had won the match. Mm. The super over was ridiculous, though. Lockie Ferguson bowled like a man possessed. He knocked over David Warner first ball, and a slower ball outfoxed Abdul Samad about two or three deliveries later. So they dismissed the Sunrisers for just two runs. Just wow. two. Wow. So very sensible batting from Owen Morgan and Dinesh Kartik. They just rotated the strike and made it home very easily. So a little bit of an anti-climax to a, an otherwise very exciting game. So not only had there never been two IPL matches with Super Overs in the same day before, but they've also never had a match with two Super Overs in the same game. Yeah, crazy. Enter the Mumbai Indians and Kings Eleven Punjab match. Hold pretty, my drink. Pretty, well, I, I, where is it? Here it is. Yeah. Look, a pretty reasonable score, 6 for 176, with Quinton de Kock making 53, and a 34 off 12 from Kyron Pollard, a 24 off 12 for Nathan Coulter-Nile. Some pretty nice fireworks in the death overs. Kale Rahul had a really nice 77 off 51 in reply, and Trent Bolt was getting smashed all over the place, 48 off his four overs. Jeez. But Chris Jordan hit a four, left him needing just four runs off three balls to win, and Bolt magically found his Yorker. And some absolutely comical running from Jordan. So on the last ball, they needed two. And he's managed to get a deflection. Oh, no. He's not done a Lance Clues. Alan Donald, has he? No, even worse. Oh, so he completed, is that possible? He, yeah, he completed the first run. Short run. No, it was absolutely fine. But then he turns and he ran about eight to ten yards the, sort of out to the side. 
So he was running like four pitches. Oh, not running in a straight line. Yeah, and and he gets run out by three inches. (laughs) So it was ridiculous. So we go into this super over, and Jasper Boomer was bowling. He was absolutely magnificent. A little bit lucky, his first four balls were actually full tosses, but they were fairly controlled full tosses if there is such a thing. So he managed to hold KL Rahul, Puran, and Huda to just five runs, which mm. should be absolutely the end well, of it. Less than a run a ball. Yeah. But Mohamed Shami somehow managed to restrict Quinton de Kock and Rohit Sharma to five as well. He, there was an absolutely amazing run out from KL Rahul. So, yeah, Boomer's done, Dukok and Sharma are done, Shami's done. There's all these guys that basically can't bat and can't bowl again because they've participated in the first one. Ah. So it kind of leveled up the playing field. So Chris Jordan bowled for Punjab, and he wasn't amazing, but he restricted him to 11. And that's, so it's something that, that is chaseable. So Chris Jordan bowled for Punjab. He wasn't amazing, but he managed to restrict them to 11, which is not disastrous. And I'll tell you what, they can thank Mayanka Garwal for a ridiculous bit of fielding on the last ball. It was sailing over the fence for six, and he's gone the massive Superman dive and thrown it back in and kept it to two. So nice. saved him four runs. But get this for the three for Punjab. So Agarwal, who is a pretty big hitter, Chris Gale, and Glenn Maxwell. <laughs> the big show. So, Trent bowled bowled for Mumbai. He just kept missing his length again. First ball to Gale, back over long on for six. Third and fourth balls to Agarwal was a length delivery, put away over extra cover and a a leg side full toss for four more to mid-wicket. Game over. What do you make of the super over rules? I don't mind them. I hate them. Why's that? Well, I think that you should... They should be two overs, actually. I think it should be two bowlers. You should get to face from both ends. Okay. Because can you imagine, like, there's a slope at Lords, for example. Mm. Like, I, I really think that it would be, I think it would be a better spectacle if if you call it super overs or overtime, whatever you want to call it. Mm. But then you have two different bowlers bowling from two different ends, and you know the batsman can just as many the whole team if you want. So a super over. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I reckon that's how it should go. Interesting thought. Yeah. I'd never really thought about it until now, to be fair. So a couple of other big performances. Shikha Darwin had a 108 off 58 as Delhi beat Chennai. AB de Villiers made 55 off just 22. And Chris Morris had a 4 for 22 as Bangalore beat Rajasthan. Quinton de Kock, 70 out of 44 as Mumbai beat Kolkata. And then another big one for AB with 73 off just 33 as Bangalore beat Kolkata by 82 runs. That's a big win in the IPL. So Delhi sit top, a game clear of Mumbai and Bangalore, while Steve Smith's Rajasthan Royals sit last. Tied on points with Hyderabad, Punjab, and Chennai. And after a good start to the tournament, he's had some pain. And then he had a 50 yeah, recently. He had a 57 in the last match, but it looks like they're not going to make the finals. <sighs> so the tennis world is not sleeping, even though the French Open's finished. There's several other tournaments going on. Yeah, we've reached the end of the Grand Slams for 2020, but still a bunch of little ATP tournaments happening around the world. Alex Sperov beat Canadian Felix Auger Aliasame in the final of ATP Cologne for his first title of 2020, hmm. which is surprising. Laszlo Gere of Croatia beat Marco Cecchinato of Italy 7-6-7-5 in the final of the ATP Sardinia. Bit of a random one there. Fabio Fognini actually had to withdraw, though, due to him testing positive for COVID. So he and his wife, Flavia Panetta, who is a... A, a former a player former in her own right, yeah. They actually had their second child less than a year ago, so we're hoping that they can kind of keep that away from little Farah. Mm, indeed. Mm. Speaking of COVID, though... Holy shit. Oh, big news. The biggest story. Very the least. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be Sam Querrey. So he was playing at the ATP St. Petersburg, which, by the way, Andre Rublev of Russia won 7 against Borna Cherich, another COVID guy. Oh, yes. 
But anyway, Query tested positive for COVID. He was told that he should stay in quarantine for 14 days in the Four Seasons Lion Palace. Oh. It is stupidly impressive. Like minimum, Poor man. Minimum 500 bucks a night. So yeah. no issues there. But he was also apparently then told by someone with the Russian health authorities that he would be visited by a doctor. And if he was found to have any symptoms, the families could be forced to be hospitalized. Which in Russia, maybe not the greatest and most appealing option. So the doctor actually went and knocked on his hotel door on the 12th of October. No reply. Mm. They knock again on the 13th. No reply. It actually turns out, though, that the queries left the hotel at 5.45am on the 13th and didn't tell anyone, not even the hotel, that they were leaving. Very dodgy. Then boarded a private jet to somewhere else in Europe where they're just basically chilling in an Airbnb. Mm. So Query actually has an affiliation with a private jet company, wore their logo on his shirts in some of the biggest matches of his career. It's quite easy for him to organize that sort of yes, thing. Yes, yes. But he's now facing... Put up the bat signal. Well, basically, yeah. So he's now facing a fine of up to $100,000 and or a suspension of up to three years from the ATP. He's 33 years old, so... A three-year suspension would pretty much end his career. That ends his career, basically, yeah. So Huge. I I suppose a couple of things to discuss from either side of the fence on this one. So, obviously, he's concerned about being separated from his family in a Russian hospital. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. But this can also jeopardize the event's ability to continue, which then causes issues for the other players in the field. A lot of them are just trying to make a little bit of cash. Mm-hmm. So his actions actually have a, a much wider reach than oh, yeah, than yeah, just his, yeah. himself and his family. So there's a lot of people up in arms saying this is one of the most selfish things, probably far worse than what Djokovic did with the, the Adria tour that we talked about several months ago. Mm, mm. So it's... Yeah, it's big news. It really is. It'll be very I, interesting to see what the penalties it are. It will be. So we've got the ATP Antwerp and the Ostrava Open, which have actually just started in the last couple of days. So... Bit going on to finish off the year in tennis. Yes, indeed. And now, this week in sport history. Well, with the World Series on the doorstep, Stewie, we got a special this week in sport or baseball. Mm, yeah, so we'll start off October the 13th, 1903. The Boston Americans win the inaugural Baseball World Series, beating the Pittsburgh Pirates 3-0 in Game 8. What? At Huntington Avenue for a 5-3 series victory. That's right, they played best of nine that year. They also played best of nine in 1920 and 21, but it was down to best of seven in 1905. I actually saw, though, there was no World Series in 1904 because the New York Giants refused to play. They thought the Highlanders of New York were also going to make it and didn't want to give their biggest rivals a national stage, so they just said no. <laughs> so, and, and the weirdest thing about it was... Oh, amateur sport history is crazy, the, isn't it? The Boston Americans actually made it anyway on the last day of the season, so the... The Giants would have played them, but they didn't change their mind. How bizarre. That's nuts. Anyway, the 1903 series. Amazingly, they actually had a rope in the outfield that kept spectators off the field. And if the ball went under that rope, it was ruled a ground rule triple, which happened 17 times across eight games. Wow. Just hit some fours, you know? Yeah, but but it's kind of like that, isn't it? (laughs) But yeah, the Pirates actually blew a 3-1 lead in the series. We've mentioned 3-1 leads that many times being blown in the last Mm, few weeks. Yeah. So Across home, several sports. Yeah, and the home team actually only won three of the eight games. Well, there you go. October 13, 1985. Before Game 4 of the National League Championship Series against the LA Dodgers, the St. Louis Cardinals rookie Vince Coleman is injured stretching before the game. He was minding his own business when a 1,200-pound automated tarpaulin at Bush Stadium dragged him to the ground and cracked his left tibia, which severely cost the Cardinals who would lose the World Series in seven games to the KC Royals. 
Thanks in part to one of the worst officiating decisions in baseball history, in the bottom of the ninth in a potential series-clinching game for the Cardinals, where Jorge Orta was ruled safe at first base when he was clearly out. Disgusting decision, still mm. to this day. Apparently the uh, the umpire was, was blindsided, but pff, whatever. October the 14th, 2003. Now, we spoke last week about the goat curse that was cast against the Chicago Cubs. With the Cubs leading three games to two and leading three-nothing in the eighth innings with one out, Fan Steve Bartman, not Bartman from the early seasons of The Simpsons, no. deflects the ball away from Cubs outfielder Moses Alou. Yes, you don't want to do the Bartman in this. So. No. The very next pitch saw the batsman Luis Castillo walked on a wild pitch. Two batters later, Miguel Cabrera looked to have grounded into a double play, but shortstop Alex Gonzalez, who actually had the best fielding percentage in the NL, snatched at the ball and made an error. The Marlins scored eight runs in the innings and won the game 8-3 before winning the series in Game 7. The Bartman incident's viewed by many as the turning point in the oh, series. Oh, absolutely. And it actually sparked a 30 for 30 documentary called Catching Hell. Absolutely. Which was magnificent. Yes, yes it was. Yeah, I've seen it too. Yeah, well, I will definitely pay more time to that in the future because that's fascinating. The poor guy had to go into hiding. Yeah. October 16th, 1969, the New York Mets win the World Series four games to one against the Baltimore Orioles. It doesn't sound too interesting, except that they were 100 to one at the start of the season by the bookmakers. They were thought of so poorly that it was said that because the National League was split into two divisions, at least the Mets couldn't finish any worse than sixth. (laughs) They even lost to the Montreal Expos, who were an expansion team in the first game of the season. Amazingly, though, they won 38 of their last 49 games to win the NL East division before winning games two through five of the World Series. And the Nine Mets are our favourite squadron. They really are. October 17th, 1989, a 6.9 magnitude earthquake strikes in San Francisco just 31 minutes before the scheduled start of Game 3 of the World Series between the Oakland A's and San Francisco Giants. The game was delayed by 10 days as part of Candlestick Park was heavily damaged by the quake, as well as issues with restoring transmission links. The A's would actually sweep the series for their ninth title and haven't actually won one since. Yeah, and I believe there's a bit of drug cheating kind of uh, scandal linked around there. But let's face it, there's been drug cheating in baseball for a long time. It was the 80s. Yeah, well, Jose Canseco and a few other blokes on that team, I believe. Wouldn't surprise me. But uh, yeah, yeah. Baseball. Baseball. This week in sport history. So finally, Shuey, with the uh, NBA season done and dusted, basketball moves to the bottom of the list when it's been at the top of the show for quite often. This makes me very sad. Yes, well, we might not have to wait too long till the next season. We have some news heading into next season. So Tyron Lue has agreed to a five-year deal to coach the LA Clippers. Yeah, that's an interesting one for me. Do you think his voice will be too similar to Doc's to make a real difference? Interesting question. The, the thing to me is five years is really interesting. If Kawhi and Paul George bolt in one year, he could be coaching a pretty crappy team in a season because they gave away a lot of draft picks to get, to get Paul George. So, yeah, but that's yeah, that's an interesting yeah. question. I mean, he's obviously coached big personalities before. He's had LeBron, he's had Kyrie. He's Irving, won a championship. But Leonard and George are very different. They're very much wanting win now. The big advantage he has is that he already was there as an assistant. So, yeah. so he knows the guys, he knows the turmoil, he knows the systems they've run, and he did the exact same thing in Cleveland. Came in after... That's, yeah, that's after David Blatt. Right? So he can potentially use a similar formula, but... Yeah, getting back to my first question, he's been Doc's assistant twice, and the only way he's successful is if he can iron out these issues. <sighs> so when the Clips sack him after Kawhi Leonard and Paul George Bolt, he'll go and, and piss off and, and coach under Doc at Philly. Philly, yeah. And then become the interim there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure about this one, but... 
Look, he's a, he's a good coach. He has a very good record. He has very good rapport with a lot of his players. I just He's pretty highly respected. Yeah, I LeBron just, wanted him when they got Frank Vogel instead. Yeah, I just kind of worry that this is going to be the same message with a different voice. Yeah. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Interesting. Mm. And as one door opens for Lewitt closes, Daryl Morey's leaving the Houston Rockets, GM there for several years, and the architect of small ball. Not a great 12 months for Moray, was it? His comments around China and Hong Kong were not met very well at all. It kind of undid all the work that the franchise had done in China. I mean, Yao Ming obviously was a huge part of that. They were one of the absolute favourites. Yeah, well, they had that Chinese connection for so many years. And, you know, I mean, what's happening in Hong Kong is pretty egregious. So he did the right thing as far as speaking out. It was just against uh, the wrong country. He then had to go into hiding, basically. And that's something LeBron didn't do. So LeBron was big on the Black Lives Matter stuff. Maybe not so much on the Hong Kong Lives Matter stuff. No, but but no, unfortunately, his comments actually probably cost the franchise millions in revenue and TV rights. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they stopped showing the games in China for the whole league. Yeah, exactly. The whole league, not just the Rockets. Yeah. So. And obviously, you've got the Russell Westbrook trade, the Clint Capella deal. They were all very much labelled as a, a swing for the fence, all-in sort of play. Is this the death of small ball? Well, that's the thing. If it had worked, he's the man. But when it didn't, he had to walk. Do you know, since 2007-2008, the Rockets have the second best win percentage in the league and have made the playoffs 10 times. Regular season Rockets. But they haven't won shit. They've also made 77 trades in that time span, second most in the league, and importantly, zero finals appearances. As zero conference, fi- oh, maybe one conference final appearance in yeah, that time. Yeah, I think one. Fuck all. The regular season Rockets. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's getting to the end. <laughs> maybe. Just quickly as well, Buff Nello. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the pictures. I've, I've seen some footage of him working out, and I'll tell you what, the dude is in great shape. He's actually been rumoured to potentially be going back to the Knicks, which I don't think is a great move for him. I think well, he's... Chris Paul's being rumoured to go there as well, so Chris Paul's being rumoured a few places. I think if he can stay in Portland, that's his best chance. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, do you think he's even helpful to a Oh, no, I think he could. Yet? I think he could. Yeah, yeah. But I think Portland is a good a good place for him to stay, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. good situation. Yeah. So, Stewie, I, I don't know if my prediction about COVID spikes in LA is true or not. I did a bit of a search on the internet to see if there were after the celebrations after the Lakers title. I couldn't find anything. It's maybe, hard to find numbers on it. Maybe it's too early. Who knows? But the legacy talk is in full swing, of course. LeBron versus Michael Jordan, which isn't all that surprising. Well, we were going to talk about this last week, but unfortunately we were a little bit over time last week. We're probably going to be the same this week. But we're going to look at a few of the numbers, I guess. So, LeBron's now 4-6 and six in the finals. Obviously, Jordan was 6-0. and Yep. Jordan's won six finals MVPs. LeBron's won four. But he's won all of that with three different teams across both conferences. Yep. Which is something that Jordan can't say. Yep. Not. He came back from 3-1 down, which is something Jordan can't say. Correct. Although a lot of people would say, well, that's because Jordan never got down 3-1. Well, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. would. Yeah, There's a counterpoint to everything. Yeah. But look, we've spoken in previous episodes about his playoff records. Just a quick recap of his all-time numbers. First in points. Second in assists. First in steals. Sixth in rebounding. He's tied for 12th in blocks and three more deep playoff runs. He could probably finish around 5th or 6th there. And he's first in wins. Also first in finals, triple-doubles with 11 and second in playoffs. Just two behind Magic Johnson and 17 ahead of Jason Kidd in third. I looked that one up. Is he at least the playoff goat? Well, and also 25 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, and 5 assists per game in a single finals six different times. No players manage more than one. 
<laughs> wow. So I might have mentioned that last week. Can't remember. But gee, that's hard to argue with. It really is. Mm. Yeah. One more championship and his case gets stronger and stronger. Some would say maybe it's strong enough already. Mm. I mean, you'll always have people arguing because of the fact that he's lost six times in the finals. but And also the hand-checking rules changed, so it's much easier to score nowadays than it was in the 80s and 90s. But I, I, look, I would, I would still argue that LeBron has gone up against tougher teams than Jordan did. If you look at the Warriors teams that had the Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green... But yeah, then obviously the counter to that is that they actually beat that Warriors team, obviously minus Durant, but they beat them after they won well, they 73 still won, games. Yeah, they still won 73 games. So. so you could certainly make counterpoints either way. The big obvious cross for him is that loss against Dallas that they should have won in 2011. The other detractors will say that Jordan's extra all-defensive first teams and, well, all-defensive teams in general pip him as well. What is it, 9-5 to five or something like that? So he's got a few extra ones. So yeah, it's... It's tough. I mean, there'll never be a way that you can definitively argue. Well, that's right. That. It's just for fun, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you look at regular season, LeBron will finish top in points and probably second all time in assists. So mm. you could make points either way. It's just, it's a fascinating conversation to have. And yeah. I'll tell you what else is fascinating. The term GOAT for the casual or average sports fan is very confusing. Because if you're the GOAT, you're the greatest of all time. But if you're a hero or a goat, if you're a goat, it means you had a crap game. Mm. Well, that's very much a Survivor thing as well. We, we always talk about the goat players in Survivor being the rubbish players that you try yeah, to take well, it's, to it's, well, I think it's come from the sporting world. There's very yeah. much a sportism. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. by the by. Yeah. 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 And then there's some brief NBL news. Oh, very brief, very yeah, brief. very brief. So Yanni Wetzel, who I'd mentioned had signed with the South East Melbourne Phoenix and then very quickly left to go and play in Germany, he's had a few passport complications, so he can't go to Germany now. Ah. And he's coming back to the Phoenix. Well, there you go. Yay. <laughs> and then the coaching carousel at the Boomers is uh, continuing too. Yeah, jeez, Brett Brown's not having a great month, is Yeah, he? so Lamana stepped down, Brown stepped back in, and then Brown stepped down. Mm, it's like you, you put your right foot in, you put your right foot out. <laughs> oh, dear me. Do we push for Brian Gorgian? Well, I, I was going to say, if the rumoured replacement is true, it's a pretty good plan C, isn't mm, it? I think Gorgian has the respect of enough players Absolutely, around the league, yeah. So. No, I'd be happy, very happy to see him yeah. at the helm. Yeah, maybe Brown can come in as an assistant. I don't know what the situation with him is, though. I, I suspect he wants a assistant coaching gig in the NBA and there's rumours that the NBA will conflict with the Olympic schedule Uh so because he's not a head coach anymore for the longevity of his NBA coaching career I suspect that he'll want to stick in the NBA of course come back to the Spurs Brett we'll have you again or OKC we'll take you (laughs) actually did you hear that uh, Will Weaver's actually been rumoured to the Oklahoma City Thunder wow I, I heard he had his eyes on the States, but I didn't realise it was NBA. I yeah. just assumed college. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Mm. Well, Stewie, do I even need to ask, what are you amped for? I mean, there's really only one thing it could be. It's got to be, be the football on Saturday. Exactly. Yep. The round two clash between Senhouse Muir and Sterling Albion in the Scottish third division. Yeah. <laughs> The Warriors of Stenhouse Mew had a comfortable 3-1 win over Sterling Albion last weekend, but can the Binos lift and get revenge? We will see. I wonder what their Norm Smith is called, the equivalent. The John McDonald. Ah, yeah. Something, I don't know. Yeah, sorry. The Haggis medal. (laughs) How about yourself, mate? Well, the grand final, of course, but Pittsburgh and Tennessee in the Battle of the 5-0s will be an interesting game of the NFL, too. What grand final? 
The AFL Grand Finals. Oh, of course. I might watch the NRL. I can't make any promises, but I will watch the AFL. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex. Thank you.